Okay, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be together. It's great to worship. Uh, We're going to come now and we're going to open God's Word, like Mike just said. If you've got a Bible with you, if you can turn to Ephesians and chapter 5. Ephesians should still hopefully be where we left it. Um, So if you want to find your way there, if you haven't got a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. The words are going to come up on the screen for us to follow along with. Uh, So you can follow along with it when I come to read it. The reason I say, as Mike's already mentioned, the reason why I'm saying it should hopefully be where we left it is because uh, through spring, kind of into early summer, we were uh, exploring and journeying through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, to the believers in Ephesus. Uh, And then we kind of took a bit of a break uh, over summer as we were meeting in our our community gatherings, as smaller gatherings across the town. But what we wanted to do was make sure that we came back and we finished really this journey that we've been working through. We really didn't want it to kind of fizzle out. There's still a lot more for us to consider, a lot more for us to explore and, and to discover together. And this is a series that we have called Sit, Walk, Stand. Just a reminder uh, for you if you've been with us or just if this is kind of your first time uh, with us this morning. We've taken this title, this series title of Sit, Walk, Stand from a book by Watchman Nee. And this book really was his uh, taking us through Ephesians and showing this clear journey that the Apostle Paul takes the believers on. Where we see the first three chapters are all about sitting in as much as it talks about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, how we've received forgiveness of sins, how we've been seated with him in heavenly places, how we've been reconciled to God, how we've been united to Jesus, and because of that, we've also been united to one another. And all that we have to do is to sit in the goodness of what Jesus has done for us. It's nothing that is earned. It's nothing that is even deserved. It's a gift of God to us. And so we sit in the goodness of what God has done through Jesus. And then from, verse, uh, from chapter 4 onwards, we go from sitting to walking. Not walking in terms of this is what you need to do in order to keep in God's good graces or to keep in God's favour. But because of what Jesus has done for us, therefore our lives should reflect that. What does it look like to walk in the goodness of what God has done? What does it look like for us to live out our our corporate identity of of being um, sons and daughters of the living God? And so we've been exploring that. That's kind of where we're we're up to at the minute. And then go on to look at what it is to stand. And that will be kind of draw us to a close. That there are times where we, we stand and we take a stand for what it is that we believe in, in the face of Uh, trial and persecution and difficulty whatever it might be there's a time for us to stand and so that's the kind of the the pattern if you like that watchman knee spotted and we just found it really helpful for us to consider that as we are going through we're going to pick up from chapter 5 verse going to start actually from verse 21 and then we're going to read through a bit further but actually uh, in verse um, 21 it says this it says to uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, And this has come off the back of uh, some chapters where actually um, Paul is saying this is what your new life is to look like. It's to be characterised by love. It's to be characterised by wisdom. It's to look like uh, being for one another and giving thanks and, and what it looks like to live in community with one another. And, and kind of what he's saying is what it looks like to walk in love. Part of what it looks like to walk in love and part of what it looks like to walk in wisdom is to submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. That there's something in terms of the way that we relate to one another. There's something in the way in which we are with one another where there's this uh, submission of one, submission, sorry, submitting to one another. And then what we'll see this week and then the following two times when we come back to this is that Paul's call to us is that we can and that we would reflect what God is like to the world as we walk out our new identity in Christ. And he focuses on marriage, husbands and wives, parents and children, and then something around uh, slaves and masters, or we might look at it in terms of work, the world of work as well. And these are three specific areas that Paul wants to draw our attention to and spend some time on. Originally, I was going to be uh, reading through in terms of husbands and wives and also parents and children, but I soon realized that that would be far too much to try and do today. And actually, we want to serve these scriptures well, and actually, you want to serve you well. Uh, and what I would have hated was for the, the kind of things around parents and children just to almost end up as something of a footnote uh, to whatever else is, is going to be shared. Uh, and so we're going to come back to that next time. But what I want to say at the outset, as we are looking at what Paul is saying about marriage and how husbands and wives are to be together and to relate to one another, what Paul is not doing, he's not setting up marriage as the ultimate calling. He's not setting up marriage as, uh, as um, effectively, it's not ultimately where we find our worth. And I think the scriptures are very clear on that. It has a very high regard and high view of marriage recognizing the importance of marriage but it is not the ultimate calling not where we find our worth and I think we need to just recognize that as we begin looking at these chapters but rather to what Paul is doing is to recognize it as a place where everything that Paul has spoken about before can be lived and worked out so he's saying this is one of the areas of life in which you can walk out your identity in Christ together also want to just recognize as well that for us as a, for those who are here and for those who might be listening a little bit later on, actually there'll be those here who are married, those who, who are widowed or divorced, those who are single and hoping one day to be married, those who are single and actually feeling that that is God's call on their life. We'll all be in different places as we're receiving what um, Paul is saying in these verses today. But my hope and my prayer is that for each one of us, that God would just really draw, uh, just, just really help us as we think about what it does look like for what his heart is, sorry, for marriage and for husbands and wives. But also what I do hope is that it draws us ever deeper in our affection and love for Jesus and for what he has done for us, as I hope we'll come to discover as we explore this a little bit more today. So let's read uh, together. We're going to read from verse 21 uh, right through to the end of that chapter. It says, wives... So... Following on from submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I uh, was asked to read these verses at a wedding a few years ago. Um, actually, would be read fairly often at a wedding, actually. And I was asked to read it. wasn't asked to unpack it or teach on it. Literally, just to, to read it as part of uh, the service, having the scriptures read. And a little while afterwards, I actually received an email from someone. I can't remember the exact words they used. But if, essentially, they were saying that they did really not appreciate what it was that I was reading. Particularly around when we're talking about submission, husbands and wives, what that looks like. And it stirred something in them that was confrontational, it agitated them. And yeah, they got in touch to say that just, really just to to let me know that they weren't happy with what was shared. And the reason I say this is actually this, the verses that we've just read and what we've just heard, it can draw this response that I'd experienced, but also similar responses as well. Whether we're think, thinking about those outside of the church, those who aren't Christians, but also for those inside the church as well, it can stir the same things and it can cause us to, to kind of question actually what exactly is being said here and what does it mean and it might not sit too comfortably with us and in some ways that's understandable because all of us um, are, are coming with our own experience and our exposure to what marriage is like or what it looks like but also with our own understanding or ideas about what these words of uh, submission or headship and leadership might be as well. So we all come with having looked through these different lenses of our experience, what we've been exposed to, and what our understanding is. And I want to say that I don't want to be dismissive of that at all. Actually, we need to to acknowledge and recognise where people are coming from and why they might feel the way that they do. But what I want us to do is to understand and explore what the scriptures are calling husbands and wives to. And that's what we're going to do today. Because these are, in, in, in many ways, particularly in the culture and society in which we live, some fairly controversial verses that we're going to be uh, spending some time thinking about. But what I want to say really at the outset, just to help us in our understanding, particularly around when we're thinking about what it looks like to submit to one another. Uh, Phil Moore, in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, in these verses, he says that Paul begins in 521 by telling everybody in Christian families to submit to one another. It's clear from what follows that he isn't saying that husbands are the same as wives or that parents are the same as children. We'll see that next time round. They're all equal before God, but they have differing roles. And the extent to which they submit to Jesus as Lord can be seen from the way they submit to one another in those God-given roles. Fathers should exercise their leadership for the sake of their wives and children. Mothers should exercise their leadership for the sake of their husbands and children. Children should honour their parents for the sake of Jesus. And I just found that so helpful as we think about what does it look like in terms of submitting. It means that we exercise leadership and we exercise our God-given roles for the sake of others. It is not, about, it is not self-seeking about what we can gain or what we can get out of it. It's always about looking to the sake of others and for serving others as well. 
And the time that I've got this morning, I've real, I have a real, I feel a, a real burden to focus more on the call to husbands, particularly rooted in what Christ has done. But Paul does begin by calling wives to submit to their own husbands. And just, I, I don't want to kind of just push that to one side at all, but I just want to spend, spend a little bit of time thinking about what that is, but what he's saying, but probably more in terms of what he's not saying, because we want to get a, a healthy understanding of what submission looks like in this context. What is he not saying? Paul is not saying that all women should submit to all men. That is not at all what he's saying. He's saying each wife should submit to her own husband. And I think some of the difficulty that comes with these verses is that, particularly when it's, it's looked at in terms of this dynamic of this relationship between all men and all women, it's not. This is about husbands and wives, about wives submitting to their own husband, not about the way that women should be with all men. He's also, what Paul is also not saying is that men matter more than women. He's not saying that at all. And actually, submission and headship is not about making one greater and making one lesser. And hopefully, as we, again, as we explore this more, we'll see how that works itself out and how that looks. But it's not that men matter more than women. He's also not saying that husbands and wives must agree on anything. We can maybe look at it and think that's what he's saying. That's not at all what he's saying. And actually, disagreement can be very helpful, as long as we do it well. Obviously, we want to disagree uh, in all contexts, we want to disagree well. And actually, it can be helpful when we bring our own point of view and our own understanding into a conversation or into a situation. So we don't want to think that it means you have to agree on, anything, on everything. Actually, it's about partnership, isn't it? It's about working together and working things through. He's also not saying that submission is about putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. That's very dangerous ground if we get to that point where we think actually it's the, the will of the husband overrides all things. Actually, first and foremost, we want to seek the kingdom of God. We want to seek God's will first. And actually, we don't want to be submitting in ways that grieve God or would lead us into, into sin or into areas away from the way that God would call us to be. And finally, what he's not saying, what submission is not, is not living or acting in fear. Submission should never come from a place of fear. It always comes from a place of trust. It's about saying, I trust you enough to do this. Now, the call or the exhortation that Paul makes to wives is not made in isolation. He's not just saying, wives, this is what I need you to do. He says, wives, this is what you are called to do, but it's directly followed by a call to husbands. And actually, those things, what I'm saying, that this is, uh, this is what submission is not, actually a huge part of that depends on how the husband fulfills the part that God has called him to as well. Paul has much more to say to husbands. I think the ratio is something like three to one, three times more that he wants to say to the husbands than he does to the wives about his call and his exhortation to them and I kind of made a bit of reference to it already is that we view our lives through our culture don't we through what we understand we view it through the society around us and, uh, and kind of what we, we see through, through media and what we see through uh, education and all of those sorts of things in, in a way we're all products of our culture and we view things very much through that 
But we also have to recognise the world and culture into which Paul wrote. Because I think that really helps us in understanding exactly what it is that he's calling wives and husbands to. There's a, a, a lady named Amy Bird. She lives in the States. And I came across a couple of articles as I was preparing for this morning that she wrote. And in there, she's, um, each article is talking about a, a different book that she's been reading and just sharing some thoughts of things that she's been drawing out. One of the books is called Neither Complementarian or Egalitarian by Mi- uh, Michelle Lee Barnwell. I'm not going to get into, dig into those particular terms, but the other book is called Paul and Gender by Cynthia Long Westfall. And it was just reading through both of these articles, putting both of them together gave a really helpful understanding of really the world into which Paul was writing and the context to which he was writing. And when we understand that, we realise just how radical what it is that Paul was calling husbands and wives to. So Paul was writing really into the Greco-Roman world, into the Greco-Roman culture. Greece was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And within this world and within this culture, women had authority in the, domestic, in the domestic sphere, so in the home. But outside of that, it was men that dominated in the public sphere. Men had uh, the power. Men had the position. This is, the, this is how the world was at that time. It was a culture that was very concerned with honour and hierarchy and order and the proper way of doing things. Now we at home, we've got this uh, thing it's called a Chinese money plant and uh, it was given to us and it started off really small and these things grow really quick and what happens is you see uh, almost it's like li- li- little other plants just start growing on it and popping up all over the place as it reproduces and you can take those and you can plant them and, and grow your own plants and what you're seeing is, is each one of these little plants is, is a smaller picture really of the, of the much bigger, uh, of the bigger plant and Really what we see when we look at the, the Greco-Roman world as we look into what the culture in Ephesus would have been like when Paul was writing, the order of the household really was considered what we could call a microcosm or a, a miniature version of society. So the household and the home reflect, was a, really a reflection of what the wider culture and what the wider society was like. So bearing in mind how men and women were viewed within, within the culture and within the world would very much have influenced what the home life was like and what the home would have looked like as well. Now, Paul is in, Paul, when Paul instructs wives to make sacrifices for the husband, for the head, it would have been the common way of thinking at the time. There wouldn't have been anything in particular that would have taken them by surprise. But then what Paul goes on to say was shocking about husbands. This would have been a shocking thing a controversial thing for them to hear. And we think, actually, as we look at these verses, these can be controversial verses now, but it really would have been then. See, Paul goes on, and he says, the husband as the head is called to give himself up for his wife as his body. This isn't about power. This isn't about position. This is about husbands laying down themselves and laying down their lives for their wife. This would have been a shocking thing to hear at that time and in that culture. Amy Bird, she says this in her article, she says that the role of headship in Christ's kingdom is a complete reversal to what they knew. And while it was shameful in the larger culture, it was considered honourable 
in God's economy. Isn't that so true in so many ways in terms of what God's kingdom looks like? Of how it stands counter to the culture of our times and what is seemed as being acceptable in society. It stands as a complete reversal of what this is what the kingdom culture looks like. This is what it looks like for husbands and wives to live together, for wives to, to willingly submit to husbands, but husbands to give everything of themselves, to lay down everything for their wives. You see, what Paul does is he comes and he subverts male privilege in the home and in the church, and rather he promotes a model of servanthood and low status, and he directs the hearer's eyes and the reader's eyes directly to Jesus. Anything in terms of privilege in the home or church for men has been completely flipped on its head, and actually husbands are called to a model of servanthood and low status and humility, giving of themselves, loving their wives, caring for her. And then in verse 25, Paul says this, doesn't he? He says, husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He says, look at what Jesus has done for you. You are to love your wives in the same way that God has loved the church through Christ. Of how he gave himself up for her. You are to do the same. That is how you are to love your wives. That is how you are to treat your wives. That is how you are to consider your wives. And then he goes on with this, uh, Paul continues with this imagery of bathing, clothing, feeding and nurturing as Jesus gives of himself to love and cherish the church, his bride, his body. And what Paul is saying is this, he's saying husbands lead like Jesus. Be kind be gentle, be gracious, be compassionate, be loving, do not be demanding, do not be self-seeking, lay down your life every day, not just when you feel like it, not just when it feels easy, not just when it's convenient for you, lay down your life every day, make that decision every day that you're going to lay down your life for your wife. For your bride. Now when Paul is speaking on, on, we might consider he's kind of speaking about roles and what it is that God is calling husbands and wives to. And again, when we're looking at parents and children as well and further on about work. When Paul's talking about roles, he's not talking about dominance or power. This isn't about a power struggle or who is the dominant one in any situation. And again, he calls us to look to Jesus to show us why this is to be the case. In Matthew 20, 28, uh, Jesus himself says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you not think if anyone had the right to come and demand to be served or to accept to be served, surely it's Jesus, the Son of God. And yet that was not his heart, that was not his posture, that was not his attitude. He came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve and he laid down his life as a ransom for many elsewhere in Philippians 2 
verse 5 to 8, it says that we are to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, that who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So it's not about power. He said, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can we see how Jesus led in a way that was so humble and servant-like? Giving of himself. Not seeking power. Not jostling for position or recognition. But laying down his life for those that he loved. For those that he wanted to welcome in to his family. And when we came to share communion just a moment ago, wasn't that what we were, we were remembering? How Christ gave of himself for us. And because of that, we can know forgiveness and we can know relationship with the Father. And when we come to share communion, we're also remembering and recognizing the unity that we now have. Unity, first and foremost, with God through Jesus, but also unity with one another. It's a meal that we come and share together because God has called us to be a part of his family, one another. And Paul reminds us of this earlier in his letter in chapter 2. He speaks about how we united to him, united to one another. And then in chapter 4, he speaks about how we are to seek to maintain unity in the body. And we work that out through how we are with one another how we relate to one another, how we care for one another, how we look out for one another. We maintain that unity that Christ has won for us. And I'm not sure, having reading these verses in Ephesians, I'm not sure that I've ever seen this before in this way. But in verse 31, Paul takes us back when, when speaking to husbands about um, loving their wives as Christ loved the church, he takes us back to the creation account in, in Genesis and with Adam and Eve. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is about unity. This is about the bringing together of two individuals as one. Just as there is to be unity between Adam and Eve, in that first creation account in Genesis, so there is to be unity between husbands and wives. Unity to be preserved and maintained by loving as Jesus loves, by serving as Jesus serves, by giving as Jesus gives. And actually, that's what Paul is calling, particularly to the husbands here, when he's saying, look, this is how I want you to lead. This is how I want you to love. This is how I want you to serve for the sake of unity. To maintain the unity that you have with your wife and for your family. Just going to kind of come into land in just a second. But one of the books that I mentioned earlier by Michelle... Lee Barmul, she says this, which I just think is so helpful for us as we consider what really is the purpose of what Paul is calling husbands and wives to here. What is the outcome of it? What is it that it is looking to serve or looking to accomplish? And she writes this, she says, what authority, leadership, equality and rights, they're all things we hear spoken about a lot. 
don't we? What they all have in common is that they often highlight the individual over the community and over God himself. What their reversals share is the potential to guide us to a greater acknowledgement of God's sovereignty and a recognition of God's ways in which the willing sacrifice for the other through the denial of self-interest results in unity and love. That's what God is calling husbands to do. It's what God is calling wives to do, to willingly sacrifice for the other through the denial of self-interest. It's not about living for myself anymore. It's not about getting my own way. It's not about having all of my own needs met. Actually, I'm looking to serve you. I'm looking to your interests. I'm looking to love you well and to serve you well. And the result of that is unity and love. And that is what God's heart for is, for marriage. And what Paul is exhorting husbands and wives to. I'm just going back to our money, our money plants and how they reflect the bigger plant that it is a part of. And we thought about that, didn't we, just a moment ago in terms of how uh, the, the, the household culture in the Greco-Roman world was that microcosm, that miniature image uh, of the, 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 the wider culture, of the wider society. Actually, marriage is a microcosm or a, a miniature image of the kingdom of God, of what it is in the church, of what God has called us to in terms of unity and sacrifice and service and love. It's a, it's a microcosm of the kingdom. You see, marriage and unity within that is a picture of Jesus and the church. Paul doesn't talk, Paul's not bringing in this idea of, of Jesus and the church and husbands and wives. He's not saying, look, I need to have a really good... How can I explain what marriage is like? Oh, marriage is kind of like Jesus and the church. It's completely the other way around. He's saying, actually, do you want to know what Jesus, the relationship between Jesus and the church is like? If you look at marriage, that's a picture of what it is. This is how Jesus loved the church. This is what it looks like to love and to serve one another. And do you know what that means? That means that marriage and marriages are an opportunity to display the gospel. Marriages are an opportunity to show the world what it is that God has done for us through Christ. Of what it means to be loved in the way that Christ loves us. I'm just going to draw it to a close there. There's a lot for us to to consider, a lot for us to take in. I just really want to just draw us back to where we started thinking about what it looks like to submit to one another. This isn't just about women. This isn't just about men. We see it's not just about parents. This isn't just about children. This is about how we all are to be together. To submit willingly to one another. Now actually the leadership that God is calling us to. Living out the God-given roles that God has given to us. We're to do it all for the sake of others. And we can do that in many contexts. Marriage being just one of them. But it's all about what Jesus has done for us. It's not just that he's an example to us. It's more than that. It's because of what he's done for us that we should live our lives in response to that. We should reflect and witness to the world 
through these different relationships that Paul's going to, we're going to continue journeying through over the coming weeks as well. Shall we pray?